0: We're reading in James chapter 4 today. And we ask a question. How do you know that God loves you? How would you prove it? The answer is, is because he disciplines you to share his holiness. Just like a father disciplines his children. Not because he hates them but because he loves them. And you know the discipline is painful at the start, right? Has anybody been disciplined by their parents? No, because it's illegal. Well, back in the olden days, I was disciplined by my father one time. And that will always live in my memory because he kicked me with the side of his foot and I was in free fall there for a second. Like, I was catching air. And my father did that because he loved me. Well, it's painful at the start, this discipline, but in the end, it yields the peaceable fruit of righteousness to those who are trained by it. Now, James... Is disciplining his readers. And that includes us. And his point is that we would live day to day with God. That's what James wants. That's what God wants. And the painful part of this is that each one of us is used to thinking backwards to God so that we live backwards to God. We are contrary to him. That's our default mode of thinking. That's our default mode of living. We naturally do this. So what God is going to discipline us for today is that we live the opposite way with him. And when we live day to day, with God, we know who we are, we know who God is, and we live lives that please him. That's what we're going to be looking at today. So I'm reading in James 4 from verse 11. Do not speak evil of one another, brethren. He who speaks evil of a brother and judges his brother speaks evil of the law and judges the law. But if you judge the law, you're not a doer of the law, but a judge. There is one lawgiver who's able to save and to destroy. Who are you to judge your brother? Come now, you who say, today or tomorrow we will go to such and such a city, spend a year there, buy and sell and make a profit. Whereas you do not know what will happen tomorrow. For what is your life? It is even a vapor that appears for a little time and then vanishes away. Instead, you ought to say, if the Lord wills, we shall live and do this or that. But now you boast in your arrogance. All such boasting is evil. Therefore, to him who knows to do good and does not do it, to him it is sin. So let's, let's look at this. What James is doing here is taking two common practices that everyone does, and he shows how they are offensive to God and unreasonable. The first common practice that he speaks of here is to speak against one another. And when he says, do not speak evil, he's using a word that means to be a backbiter. You know what a backbiter is? It's somebody who says something mean and nasty about somebody else who's not there. And it means to be a complainer. Kind of goes like this. wow, 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 rawr, 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 Now, this is something that everybody does. You see it especially all over the place now because everything is getting so polarized. Nobody meets in the middle. Everybody throws rocks at each other from extremes. And Christians do it, maybe they only do it inside. Because, you know, we're Christians. So we don't rah, rah, rah at loud. We just rah, 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 rah inside quietly. Sometimes we come out, and this is the problem, see, that we don't talk to the person we have a problem with. We talk to everybody else about it. And we work to get a majority. The majority of us vote against you. James says, stop doing that, brethren. That's what he's really saying. Stop doing that. And his reason is, it's arrogant against God. It's taking the place of God, and you have left your proper place. And he says, your proper place, there at the end of verse 11, is to be a doer of the law. And that law, James calls the perfect law, the law of liberty. It's to love your neighbor as you love yourself, to love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind, with all your strength. So you're even supposed to love your neighbor Your enemy, just like God does. You're supposed to be perfect. Now, when you criticize and complain about somebody else, and especially another believer in Jesus, you no longer love that person. You have stopped loving that person. You've stopped being long-suffering and patient and kind with that person. You've begun to be rude, to seek your own things, to keep a record of wrong. You're doing all those things that love does not do. So you are no longer a doer of the word. And James says now you are a judge of the word. You're actually expressing criticism against God for making a law that says you have to love everybody. And you're going, what for? The guy's a jerk. That's not a reasonable law. And I don't like that law, so I'm not going to do it. I think it's a dumb law, and I think God was dumb for making up that law in the first place. You say, wait, 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 wait. I didn't mean that. I just don't like this person. But James says, if you take it to the conclusion, that is what you're doing. You're criticizing God for making that law. You're criticizing that law. You're in the place of God. And James is showing us how that is offensive to God because he says in verse 12, there is one lawgiver. And the language there emphasizes Only one. And he is the lawgiver and judge because he created everything. That is, he is the author, therefore, he has the authority. And he can save and destroy. Now, when we get into judge mode, we just naturally flow to destroy. The guy offends me. He's a creep. Destroy him. But God looks at that person, and though he could destroy him, he says, I want to save him. That's a big difference between us and God. So... Only God can save, and that's what he prefers to do. So look at this question. Who are you to judge another? James goes, who do you think you are? Do you realize what you're attempting to do here? He says, you're taking the position of God. You tear down his law. You are not loving. Now ask yourself, who does that look like? See, that's what the devil does. This is the wisdom that's from below, not above. There's selfish ambition here, bitter jealousy, disorder, every evil thing. Now, this happens in churches so often as to be pandemic. It happens all the time. Now, what should happen is that if you're offended by somebody, you ought to go right to them and talk to them and say something like, did you know what you just did? Did you intend to do that? You communicate, and the idea is to win that person because they may not be aware of what they're doing. It's kind of like the Laurel and Hardy thing where one of them's got a big plank, and he goes, what, whack, huh, whack. It's like, do you know what you're doing? What, pow, clueless. And maybe that guy needs to be clued in. Now what happens if you go to that guy and say, this is what you did, you really hurt me. Did you intend to do that? And then it goes bad. He goes, it's not my problem, it's your problem. You don't whip out your fist and go, watch this. You take a couple other people who've seen it, and you go back to him and say, you know what? All of us are experiencing this thing that you're doing, and it's not right. And he goes, I don't care. So, you tell it to the whole church. And if he doesn't listen to the church, then you kick him out. That's what the Bible says to do. You take it in steps. But what if it, if it turns out that you're wrong? Like you totally misinterpreted what the guy said. And you go, oh my gosh, I, I'm wrong. Then you say, I'm sorry. But what happens is you communicate and you talk and you nip it in the bud before the molehill turns out to be a mountain and a big, huge problem and bitterness and she did this and he did that. Because what usually happens is somebody's offended tells everybody else but that person and then either tries to split the church Or just, we're leaving the church. We've prayed about it. And God told us to leave. And we're leaving. No, I don't want to talk about it. Go to another church and do the same thing over again. Because you take your problems with you everywhere you go. And a new church isn't going to solve the problem. Because the problem is... You're judging God. You're judging his law, and you're not loving. So really, if you don't deal with this in the biblical way, you're going to be bitter for the rest of your life, and you're going to mess up church everywhere you go. Isn't that crazy? Pandemic. Pandemic in the churches right now because we're not dealing with things biblically the way God says to do that. So, the other practice that James mentions here is making plans in life without God. And you know, everybody does this naturally, right? I mean, you have to make plans, don't you? And so you say, well, we're going to do this and this and this. We're going to go here. I think it'll take this long. And then, you know, we're going to make some money. And, you know, profit. There's nothing the matter with profit because that's how you feed your family. And that's how you pay for housing and clothing And your gas, and your electricity, and your broadband. As far as we know, there is no life apart from broadband. So you got to have this stuff, right? And then maybe you have a little disposable income after all that, so you can get a little bit of Netflix and some Amazon, you know. So what's the matter with that? Well, James says the problem is you forget who you are. And you forget who God is. He says in verse 14, you don't know what's going to happen tomorrow. Just this morning on the BBC news app, this girly producer dies. Freak accident, 34 years old, top of her game, talented, in some eyes, beautiful. Could have been the Photoshop, I don't know. But, you know, one minute she's a record producer and the next minute she's dead. And then the very next article is some guitar player in a band that was like 50 years ago and he dies at age 77. You don't know what's going to happen. And, you know, life is not guaranteed. But we live like it's never going to stop. We forget That we're this vapor, and you know, vapor is like what's coming off your kettle, and you see it for a second and then it's gone like it never was. So the real question is, are you ready to meet your maker? That's morbid. That's what somebody will tell you if you say that. Are you ready to meet your maker? <gasps> don't say that. Why? Because it's not true? No, because I don't want to think about it. Now, Jesus told the parable about a farmer who had a great year of harvest. Man, a didn't even have enough place to put it all. He says, well, I know what I'll do. I'll just tear down my barns, build bigger ones, and then I got it made. I got it made. And then God comes to him in the night and says, you fool. Tonight, your soul is required of you. And then who's going to own all this stuff that you laid up for yourself? He says, you're rich toward men, but you are not rich toward God. So what, what James here says is what you ought to do is live with the purpose of pleasing God. Because you say, look, I have this much time here. It's limited. It has to be. I can't live in this life forever. Forever. So what do I do with my time? Well, I know at the end of it, I'm going to talk with God an exit interview, and God's going to look at my life. Now, what is he going to say? There's only two possibilities. One is, well done, good and faithful servant. And the other is, what was that? What was that whole life you lived there? What was that all about? Now, you know, we don't, we don't get a detailed roadmap, do we, from God? He doesn't spread it out across the heavens. Rob, start at A, go to B, go to C, skip F. It's a trap. Wouldn't it be great if we got that kind of like, you know, GPS from God? Okay, okay, cold, 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 warm, 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 hot, 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 hot. Wouldn't that be fabulous? Never make a mistake. Always get there. But, you know, we have to pray and do the best we can and say, you know, this is what I think God is doing. And, you know, we pray about it too, don't we? God, take me by the hand, get me where I need to be. But then, what if God changes things up? What if he burns down a clinic to the ground in Congo? Like we've had happen to us then you say, okay, God has something different. This is what it means to trust in God. You believe that your life is in his hands and that he is allowing things to happen, and you say, yes, Lord, without understanding or getting an explanation because God does not give them And you can pray why until the cows come home and guess what? Nothing. But what you have to believe is that God works all things together for good to those who love God, who are the called according to his purpose. And he makes all things work together for good. Even the... Lousy, nasty, rotten, inexplicable things. You say, okay, God gives, God takes away, blessed be the name of the Lord, and you keep on trusting God. That's what you do. But when you forget that you're a vapor, And that you're not going to stand before God. And your life is your own to do whatever you want with it. And hey, let's work things out. So we get a bunch of disposable income together and just whip it up and and provide for the family and do everything that's right and good and proper. But we forget about God. He says, you're boasting in your arrogance and all such boasting is evil. Now, arrogance always goes with ignorance. They always go together. It's a funny thing. So you check it out. When somebody is being arrogant, they're also being ignorant, even though they might be really smart people. But if a person is arrogant towards God, it means they're ignorant of God. You think it's a funny thing to insult God and boast against God and, and all that? Boy, wait till you stand before him. And you realize, man, I didn't know what I was doing. I was ignorant. So realize this. Arrogance, ignorance. They always go together. And that's what James says is going on here. Arrogance and ignorance are evil. It's not good. Now, verse 17 is James turning everything up so far. In our little tense talk here, he turns up the tension to about 50. Because we know we aren't doing what we ought to do. When he says, therefore, in verse 17, it means he's drawing a conclusion from everything that he's just said. And it doesn't sound connected, but it is connected. He says, to him who knows to do good and doesn't do it, to him it is sin. And you know what that means? It means that, naturally, we live in a disconnect. And a disconnect means that we say something about ourselves, but our life doesn't agree with that. Like, we know we should love everybody. Does everybody know that? Duh, of course. Okay, love everybody. Yeah, but do you do that? Okay, you're living in a disconnect. Everybody knows. We're only here for a short time, right? Duh. But then how are you living? Are you living like you're going to meet God? See, then you're living in a disconnect. We complain about people. And we don't think about, okay, what does God want me to do? We just live our lives. If somebody were to ask us, are you a Christian? We would say yes. But then do we live like it? Does everybody here know what the right thing to do is? Are you doing it? Guess what? You're living a lifestyle of sin. It's not so much that you do this thing wrong, that thing wrong, and that thing wrong, right? Because you haven't killed anybody, and you haven't lied, and you haven't committed adultery, you haven't done a lot of stuff. And you know, when people think about the lies, they say, well, I didn't do that, I didn't do that, I didn't do that, I must be Okay. But not doing things, not doing evil, doesn't equal good. It just means you're not doing bad. But the question is where's the fruit? Because righteousness means doing good to others. You know about farming, right? Picking weeds is not farming. Planting seed to bring a harvest is farming. So if you're out there picking weeds and saying, "Good harvest, mother," you're missing the point. You got to plant seed so that it comes up and bears fruit. And the question is, where's the fruit? Do you remember when Jesus went to a fig tree looking for fruit? The tree was saying, I have fruit. Because it turns out that these fig trees actually bear fruit before the leaves come out. So if there were leaves, the tree is saying, I have fruit. But when Jesus goes up and looks for the fruit, there is no fruit. There's a disconnect. And Jesus says, may no one ever eat fruit from you ever again. And the tree goes. So it's easy to live in a disconnect. And to say something about yourself and actually believe it, but the life doesn't back it up. So then the question is, where do you get fruit? I mean, this is a question you ought to be asking yourself right now in this very tense moment. Okay, how do I get fruit? I'm a vapor. Okay, I get that. Uh, How am I supposed to live to please God? What do I do? And part of the answer is, You can't do this on your own. If it were possible for you to do this on your own, then Jesus died for nothing. So just realize you have to do this with Jesus. You know, none of us care enough to do this. And we're all vapors. You know what that means? We're finite. We don't have the resources to do this right. So we, we cannot please God when we live naturally in default mode. There are two different directions. It doesn't work. But God has a plan with a goal in mind. And that plan is that we live Intentionally. With him. Now that's a buzzword today. I would like to be intentional. Oh, isn't that fabulous? And you go, What's intentional? Excuse me. And here's what it means What you do, you do by a thought out plan and design with a goal. You don't just live willy nilly and exactly. But you have a goal in mind, and it's deliberate. You have to actually think it out. You can't just goof it by accident. All right? It's the design thought up by your Father who's in heaven because he's raising you. And... His plan is in Colossians chapter 1. I'll read it again. For this reason also, since the day we heard of it, we have not ceased to pray for you and to ask that you may be filled with the knowledge of his will in all spiritual wisdom and understanding so that you will walk in a manner worthy of the Lord, to please him in all respects, bearing fruit in every good work and increasing in the knowledge of God, strengthened with all power according to his glorious might for the attaining of all steadfastness and patience, joyously giving thanks to the Father who has qualified us to share in the inheritance of the saints in light. Now, we can't get into every little aspect of this. For that, I suggest Friday night. Is that not a shameless advert? But I will be yet more vile than this. Filled with the knowledge of his will in all spiritual wisdom and understanding. God's plan for you to live intentionally is that you grow in knowing him. And you want to learn something every day. He does not want you to get more stupid as time goes on. Isn't that a great thing? What parent wants his kids to grow up dumb? You want them to be intelligent and smart, and therefore, the reality is you're going to learn something every day for the rest of your lives. Because when you stop learning, you start dying and God doesn't want you to die. So think about that. Part of this intentional life is that you decide I am going to learn about God. And there's a lot to learn, isn't there? It's kind of a a thick book. But it's not as thick as, say, Lord of the Rings. And I've read that 15 or 20 times. And I'm done with it, you know what I mean? You can only read about orcs so much, and then you go, something else, please. But something about the Bible is different. You can never read the Bible enough. And it's the only book in the world that gets bigger on you as you go. You will never get to the bottom of this but it's the most fun thing in the world to try. Because of all the things you've ever read in your whole life, this does not get old. And I've been reading it for 40 years. And I'm still learning stuff. that that's scary to death. There's more there. So you know, God wants you to be intelligently participating with him. Do you know that you're not God's action figure? So God can pose your arm and it stays there and he has to pose your other arm and it stays there. You know, some dumb action pose. You are not God's plastic action figure. He wants you to be involved intelligently in the process. Don't you think that's interesting? Does God need you No, but he wants you, and he wants you to be intelligently involved. I think that's so interesting, just like a parent. Okay, so the purpose of learning and knowing is to actually do it. To walk in a manner worthy of the Lord, to please him in all respects all respects, and to please him. You know, this word please is used here only in the whole Bible. To please him. And it's a thrilling thing to think you can please God. You can bring joy to God's heart. Just like any parent gets joy when he sees his kids living right. Because it's possible to watch your kids live badly. And as a parent, you're helpless. You would give a gallon of blood if that would change your kid's life, but it's not going to help. And so you pray your brains out as a parent. Well, when you know what's right, God enables you to live right because it says here strengthened with all might and you get to learn this secret of living life in the power of God the same power that raised Jesus from the dead and you think what? Wouldn't that just blow me up? Wouldn't we have just a mushroom cloud where Rob used to be? But this is power to live right. You want to do what's right, but you don't have the moral strength, do you? You think to yourself, man, if God doesn't do something, I'm going to hell. Well, God wants to teach you how to live by his strength. And it says here, to especially how to persevere and endure so that you keep going, so that life doesn't pound you down and you get beat up and thrown out. So that you can remain even in a difficult spot and you're not going to get blown away because you are kept by the power of God. And then you will joyously give thanks to the Father Do you know that your Father in heaven wants you to know what joy is? To be happy. And like really happy. Because this source of happiness does not change. Unlike everything else in the world. Everything else is going to change, it's all vapor. But here's joy that lasts because it's eternal and it's not going to change. Therefore, you get to be happy and it's legitimate. Well, the end of God's plan for you to live deliberately, intentionally, is that you are glorified just like the Lord Jesus. That is God's deliberate goal for your life. Now what he's doing now is transforming you on the inside to be like Christ. And then he's going to make the outside the same as the inside so that everything is immortal and righteous and eternal. That's the deliberate goal that God wants to do in your life, and he wants you to have the same goal as him. So here's the question. Do you know this purpose? And are you living according to this purpose with God? The other alternative is that you are doing what you want, which turns out to be almost no purpose at all. You're kind of wandering and going nowhere quickly, and you're groping because you're in the dark and you don't know what you're doing. You really have to think about what you're doing, don't you? Everybody here needs to think, where am I going? How do I want to live my life? And then you choose to live intentionally, deliberately, for God, with Him. So when you think you got to pray, okay, Father in heaven, I choose to go your way. Teach me your paths. Show me how to do this. Man, I feel so dumb. I feel like I don't know what I'm doing. And the rest of the time, I feel like I can't do it. So here I am. What can you do with me? Well, God says actually quite a bit. Because I'm not as bad off as you are. I'm God. God. So I have some skills. And you go, good. One of us better have some skills. And then you know what you're going to find yourself doing all the time? You're going to find yourself repenting because you did this wrong and that wrong. And you blew this. And you keep coming back to Jesus and going, okay, I blew it again. You have to do this. This is the life. But guess what? You're on the right track. You see, ungodly people never repent. They never say, I did wrong. I blew it. I'm sorry. They just say, not my problem. It's your problem. It's your problem. It's your problem. Even when there's closed-circuit television footage and recordings. They go, nope, wasn't me. I didn't do it. It's your problem. Only godly people repent. So you just have to keep saying, okay, God, you're right and I'm wrong. Lead me in your truth and teach me. So I'm telling you, Live intentionally with your Father who is in heaven. Everybody got that? Let's pray. Thank you, Heavenly Father, that you are true Father. And you take being Father seriously. And you don't want us to live in a disconnect where we say one thing about our lives, but the reality is it's not there. You want to connect us with yourself. And I thank you that you are so good that even though we are sinners, even though we complain about one another, even though we live our lives not thinking about you, you think about us. And you want us to live with you every day. And we pray that you would live with us Maybe there's somebody here who's never prayed or somebody who's prayed before and needs to pray it again. Heavenly Father, please teach me your ways. Please teach me how your salvation works and the power works. And please teach me to live with you and to go your way. I don't want to go my own way anymore. I don't want to grope in the darkness. But I want to know your love. And for everybody that's praying, please pour out your Holy Spirit in our hearts. Pour out your love. There are some people that need to be washed and cleansed. And they're confessing their sins to you right now. Please wash and cleanse and restore and renew. Please take away the darkness. And it is painful to learn how to walk with you because we find out how often we are wrong. Help us not to be afraid of that. Just keep coming to you. Help us to live intentionally, deliberately, for you, with you. We ask it in Jesus' name. Amen.